This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the wheelhouse. On a scale of 1 to 10, he's going to hit a 10 on every nice guy mark until he gets out on the mound. And then he's going to chew you up, and he doesn't really let you go. Starring Jerry DePoto. And Jerry DePoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. To see what he's done this year, Jerry to just despise walking guys even more than he did last year, to work the edges of the plate better than any starting pitcher, maybe better than any pitcher, period, in Major League Baseball. And Gary Hill Jr. That's Aaron's only way of scouting. He doesn't care about anything else. <laughs> how they look coming off the bus. Man, oh, man. It's time for The Wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Welcome to, once again, another episode of the Wheelhouse Podcast. This is episode number 67. It is our wrap-up episode of the truncated 2020 season. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, and Mariners General Manager Jerry DePoto. Jerry, it's good to see you. We are all together, socially distanced, nevertheless, inside the uh, home radio booth. We are recording this before uh, Game 1 in Oakland. It gets uh, late here early, as Yogi would say, which is what this whole (laughs) 2020 season feels like. That, that's what it feels like living in Seattle at any given time <laughs> right. of the year. Yeah. Uh, man, this has been uh, a, an odd year, of course, Jerry. We're going to talk about a, a lot of specific players in this kind of wrap-up episode. We're going to talk about some breakout guys for the Mariners, some guys that we couldn't think could get much better, and yet they did, uh, i.e. Marco Gonzalez. Uh, we got Stump JD. We got fan questions. We got a lot of great fan questions today, by the way, which I guess isn't a surprise, but just – like, we were inundated, I would say, with great fan questions. Um, but, Jerry, to begin things, we kind of want your 30,000-foot view response of the 2020 season, but I'm going to challenge you to something. I like challenges, Aaron. You know I like <laughs> challenges. I want to hear your overarching thoughts on the Mariners in 2020, but you cannot say a single specific player name. Wow. Wow. This is the team overview this season of the Mariners without saying a specific player are you are you capable of this because you live in player names this is your life I, I don't know if I can do it I gotta be honest <laughs> with you, but I'm gonna try <laughs> I've never seen Jerry's face tremble quite the same way that it just did the pale that I'm feeling right now is so it's I don't know that 2020 could have gone a lot better for us I mean it, it, the the added bonus of being in some type of playoff contention with, you know, 10 days, two weeks left to go in this season only enhanced what was, I think, a really positive experience. So many of you, we, we did what we intended to do. So many of our young players got the exposure, uh, gained experience. So many of them thrived. Uh, a few that shall not be named, uh, I think, excelled, I would say. And we, we didn't see very many 
not take some step forward, either from the get-go in, in some cases or in others, guys that made adjustments as the season went along. We saw improvement, if not consistently, then at least something to, to spark your interest and believe that what we initially uh, saw in this player or the upside in this player was there. And by and large, I think that happened across the, the expanse of our roster. Uh, we learned a ton about a wildly inexperienced bullpen, and along the way, I feel like we picked up a few arms that are going to be longer-term impact for us, and that's exciting. Uh, I feel like we learned a ton about a group of young starting pitchers, and some of whom I, I really can't say enough about how quickly they adapted in 2020, and that's a, a very encouraging thing. And we watched the youngest lineup in the league really produce what we think has a chance to be the foundation, or at least the first wave of what we think is, is the foundation of a, of a sustainable playoff roster here in Seattle. That, that's my, my overarching thought on this roster, and, and I feel like we hit on the things we wanted and needed to hit on for us to be a legitimate a legitimate contender going into 2021 and beyond, because we feel like we're not very far from that. I think you nailed it, Garrett. What do you think? I think that was amazing. Yeah. All right, I'm done here. My work is done. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap-up episode complete. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, Gary and I have referenced it a number of times on the air, and you just made mention of it. I mean, you can hardly you can hardly count the number of players that didn't take some type of step forward given an opportunity this year. And when you look at the youth that the Mariners ran out virtually everywhere this season with just a, f a few exceptions – I mean, given the state of the world and the state of the lack of experience that the Mariners had, this thing could have gone south, like, fast. And you never know which way a player will step. Will he progress? Will he step back? Will he just kind of stay flatline? But to me, it is almost completely unanimous across the board, impressive how each guy really had something that they can go into this winter and build upon, which is not a guarantee by any means. By any means. And, and, and I'm going to tell you from opening day, which by my count was July 24th, till about August 9th, I had my doubts. <laughs> I had my doubts. You know, we, we, were, we were very young. Uh, we were not performing very well. I, I think at that time, I'm ballparking, but I think we were about 5 and 11 right out of the chute. And that was a tough part of the schedule too, right? It really was. I mean, we were, we were playing playoff contenders night in and night out and, you know, started the season with a handful of, of series against teams like, you know, the, the, the then defending champ Houston Astros, the, uh, the Oakland A's who always give us a tough time and, and were this year's divisional champ and and threw us right into a series with a red hot Rockies team which I think brings me to where it turned around for our team or when we really started to get you know find ourselves and and, and our traction and and if I'm allowed to to speak under a name now right you may now, I think yes. we, we've progressed yeah. beyond the, the embargo is lifted yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on, I think it was August 9th it was a Sunday day game here in Seattle we were playing what was at the time a smoking hot Rockies team and Justice Sheffield had a what I would call like his first notable major league start I believe it was first big league win and, and for six innings he just dominated a really good lineup that was sizzling at the time and and from that time for the next 30 days or so we were one of the best teams in the American League and we were still playing good teams that were, they were sprinkled all around in there. Teams like the Dodgers and Padres really stand out. And, and yet we were able to hang with Oakland and, and, and really pull ourselves 
out of the the mire of, of that five and eleven start. And and we watched so many guys start to take off. And and about a week later, we after you know three weeks of struggle, Evan White really started to hit. And for the next three or four weeks, we saw what he could be capable of. And and we saw the the rise of Nick Marjavicus after we put him into the starting rotation. And that's right about the time we started to see Dylan Moore really come into his own. And you know what was already a good start for him went to another level during that stretch of time and so many positive things started to happen with with our group and and I don't even have to go to places like Marco Gonzalez and Kyle Lewis and, and, and who have been steady Eddie since the the day we began and so so many positive things and and for that to happen in in a, just a 60 game season gave us great hope that that the development that we were hoping for over a 162 game season wasn't lost because we only played 60. You started the conversation with Justice Sheffield and I want to start there because he's one of the great stories I think of this team. You look at his last handful of starts, he's been outstanding really ever since the start that you referenced and it's one of the guys where it's sad that the season's coming to an end because you'd love to see how this would play out the rest of the way. He's been so good. What's been the most important part of his step forward? He's good. <laughs> you know, he is. I mean, we have to remember, and I said this so many times last year and then coming into this year, I think Justice Sheffield was the victim of, of prospect fatigue. Mm. When, you know, when he struggled in Tacoma to start last season, it was very easy to forget that he threw 10 dominant innings down in Peoria in Major League Spring Training before we sent him off to Tacoma. It was easy to get lost in the shuffle, the fact that virtually everybody who pitched in AAA last year struggled to some extent. And, you know, and, and Justice was only 23 years old. And coming into the 2019 season, this was a consensus top 40 pick and top 40 prospect in all of Major League Baseball, who was a former first-round pick, was the headliner in two pretty big trades in the course of his young career. And this year at 24, when he still has all those weapons, he's still every bit as athletic as he's ever been, he took a huge step forward in just sequencing his pitches and throwing strike one. And when he started throwing strike one with the consistency that he has, and it was on that day that it really began, since then, I think it's been seven starts, six of them quality starts. He went from his first major league win to what I think has been, in my opinion, the best rookie pitcher, at least in our league, in the American League. And, and I think he gets lost in the rookie of the year discussion because there was so much fatigue on the front end that everybody had heard of Justice Sheffield and when's he going to click that they kind of forgot he was a rookie. That he's a rookie, yeah. right. And, and, That's right. And he's very good. And, and, I, and I can't say enough. He's been, you know, even by the numbers, if you sort by roughly any number and make it a 50-inning run across Major League, whether it be by war or by FIP, and meaningful categories, Justice Sheffield lines up among the top 30 in baseball. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and pairing him with Marco Gonzalez gives us, you know, a one-two punch that we didn't, we couldn't have expected coming into the season, but Justice earned that, and he, and he gave us that kind of confidence every day out. Has Justice gone from, or is he close to the finish line in going to, moving from being a mouth breather to a nose breather? He, you know, I don't know that he was ever a mouth breather because it moved pretty quick for Justice. But he had he was a competitive guy who, it, as you get to know him, he's able to he's been able to slow it down. You know, like I look at the and, and I, we joke around about the mouth breathers. We've got a few. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know that Justice was ever one of them. His his heart rate just ran quick. And, you know, he's been able to figure out how to slow that down. And I really do think for for Chef, it became it, it, it's when we started stressing 
just throw strike one. And you started to see that free up his repertoire. You've seen him use a lot more of his changeup as a result. And his changeup is a very good pitch. One of the real, I guess, hangups with Justice as he was coming through, even with outside evaluations as to what he was going to be was, ah, the command's not great and he's got no third pitch. He always had a third pitch. He just didn't use it that much. And this year we saw that he was able to use it more because he was ahead in counts more. And and it really made a huge difference for him. And now we're seeing a maturing young major league starter with three pitches who took a huge step forward and just controlling the counts and, and, and dominated the strike zone in ways he never has at any level. He's been one of the best storylines for the Mariners this year, and watching him pitch has become a real pleasure. And watching that slider become one of the one of the best single pitches in the American League from any starter, probably it's safe to say. Man, it's, it's been that good. Hey, Kyle Lewis is uh, going to win Rookie of the Year. He was your first number one overall pick when you came to Seattle. You and your uh, counterparts were thrilled and shocked and in awe that he fell to you in the first round and of course we all know the story on Kyle Lewis to see what he has been able to do tail into last year making his debut carry that into this year and become you know, become a face of a franchise that kind of a guy and as Gary and I, I and I hope that this Gary I hope we can lean on this conversation at some point in the near future after one of Kyle's just incredible games where whatever he robbed a home run and he hit a home run and did all kinds of cool things Gary and I during an inning break we looked at each other and we said, you know, in like, in like two or three or four years, like, is is Kyle Lewis going to be one of the like top ten players in the American League? I mean, he could be. Like, that's the type of guy that we're seeing. Uh, not to push expectations too greatly, but he's kind of made people think that this year. Well, he kind of has been that this year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's uh, that's exciting. And, and you know, credit and 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 thank you to Tom McNamara, our then scouting director, who identified Kyle very early and stuck with him uh, through his his progression as a junior at Mercer and and we were fortunate that he slipped to our pick in the draft and we've been even more fortunate after the early career injury that he has rebounded in the way he has and, and what Kyle is is becoming or maturing into is roughly what we thought he could be on, on draft day 2016 we thought he was the best player in the country and you know, we, we, we were pinching ourselves that he was falling to our pick, and so much has happened since that day, since we made him the, the, the 11th pick in that draft. And, you know, as he was going through, we were through that draft, we were getting text messages from other teams who, you know, this is the one of the nuances of the MLB draft since 2012 when you could uh, openly talk to players before you selected them. It used to be prior to 2012 that you could not have a negotiation or a discussion with a player until you, you drafted them. And with the 2016 draft, the benefit was to us that so many of the teams in front of us had multiple picks and they were trying to leverage those picks. So they were doing deals with one player in order to leverage some other pick and we were just sitting there by our lonesome with no extra pick <laughs> so we, it wound up being a benefit to us and, and as a result we got Kyle Lewis and couldn't be happier I mean he has in every way and, and just like with Chef I'll point to the biggest success being how big a difference it's been the way he's dominating the strike zone and mm. And, you know, he's, he's always been willing to take his walks, but he found a way to reduce his strikeout rate by a considerable amount, you know, 10, 12 percent year over year. And that's a meaningful jump. And we know Kyle has huge power, especially to the big part of the yard, you know, center field, right center field, huge power. 
in addition to the D to Z skills that he's really started to sharpen, what he's done defensively has been nothing short of fabulous. I, I mean, the most fun moments that I've had this year are the things that he's done defensively. The over-the-fence catches, the, the facial expressions, the part of what makes this so fun watching Kyle's rookie year, and I do agree that it, it would be a travesty if he wasn't selected as a rookie of the year, but the energy that he shows, that's what makes him the potential face of a franchise is that he has a cool factor that, that a lot of guys just don't have. And there are other great players, both in our organization, on our team, and, and but, but you have to have that kind of that gravitas that he has when he walks out onto a field. And he's fun to watch, and, and he's impossible not to root for. It's been a joy to watch him play and, and, a, and a thrill to see how quickly he adjusted to this league. And I'm glad you mentioned his defense because I feel like he's had such a wonderful year offensively that it's easy to overlook kind of his defense. I mean, it's not easy to overlook some of those great plays that we've seen, but he's been really steady all season in center field. And a couple of years ago, I I mean, there's no way to know he would be that guy in center field. But there he is every night, night in and night out. The numbers bear it out, too. He's been really good. It looks like he's at home in center field. It really does. you know. And, again, on draft day, we thought he could play center mm-hmm. field long term. But we didn't know, you know, because he's a physical guy. And your your assumption is, ah, he's he's a big guy, power's a big part of a, his game. He probably moves to, to a corner. Doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And, and he's showing us now that that's not the case. He's super athletic. Clearly, he has the hops to do anything he wants at the wall. <laughs> he's confident in what he's doing. And I don't think he's misread a ball all year long. You know, he misplayed a ground ball in Houston early in the, the season. And that's probably the only mistake that I could point to uh, for Kyle. And that's remarkable for a 60-game run for a rookie in center field where he's not had all of his reps. He's played all three of the outfield positions pretty regularly. And you know, he, he took to center field, and he's confidently running around out there. And even over the course of this year, the improvement that he has shown defensively shows up in the metrics. You know, it, it absolutely does, whether it's his zone ratings or what the numbers that are coming in from StatCast and on our stuff internally. He's been every bit of an average to plus defender in center field, which we could not have imagined uh, if we were going to play him out there, even when we were in summer camp, mm-hmm. we said, ah, on a seven, se- six game, seven game week, how many days can we play Kyle out there? And how many days should we move him to the corner just so we don't beat up his legs? He didn't play a day on the corner. <laughs> <All right. laughs> he was right. that good in center. By the way, I like how a few minutes ago you just casually threw in a D the Z. That was, was nicely nice. done. Yeah. Very we on did. brand. We did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> you know, uh, Last year, I think it would be probably, I don't know, maybe you are so much closer to all this that you might scoff at what I'm about to say. So I apologize for that if that's the case. Somebody could have watched Marco Gonzalez last year and said, yeah, this is this is Marco. And if he holds this as his peak for the next X number of years, like that is a really good quality starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. To see what he's done this year, Jerry – to just despise walking guys even more than he did last year, to work the edges of the plate better than any starting pitcher, maybe better than any pitcher, period, in Major League Baseball. And to have – you talk about gravitas, man. Just to have that mm, that nobody else really has like him. I mean, this is a guy that you went and got, obviously, from the Cardinals. And I, I have to think, man, he is paying bigger dividends than you could have ever hoped for, what he's been able to do for this organization. I knew it. 
No. <laughs> no, you, I mean, you're right. And, and the reality is that, that the day we acquired Marco, we were hopeful that he could grow into what we saw from him in 2018. And I feel like he's done nothing but get better since then. And, you know, so often in baseball, the, the, like the prime years of a player land right in the zone that Marco's in right now. And, and I've, I've said this before, so many get Marco does it through precision. He does it through competitiveness. He does it through pitch mix rather than, you know, blowing you up with 98 miles an hour. And he just knows how to, to keep you off balance, to stay off the barrel. And, and, and he pitches. I, I don't think his peak is just yet. There's more in the tank because he pitches with his head and, and with his heart. And it doesn't matter that his physical stuff isn't likely to stay at the top of the, like, let, let's say those power pitchers when they're 28 years old, as they start to ebb, they're going to go the other way. I don't know that that's going to be true of Marco, you know, he's, because of the way he does it. And it's, uh, he's fascinating to watch. I love the contributions he's made, and I, and I won't stop with what he just does on the mound. That's phenomenal. I do think it's really hard to imagine a pitcher not named Shane Bieber winning this year's right. American League Cy Young Award. Marco deserves to be considered for what he's done. He has been the best command efficiency pitcher in all of baseball. And uh, and he's done it. He wins games. And that has been a trait that has existed since the day he got here. And, and truly a trait that probably goes back to birth for Marco. I mean, I don't think he lost in high school. I, he won four straight you know, state championships where he pitched the state championship game. And, and uh, he went to, to Gonzaga and, you know, during the, the best run that they've had, became a first rounder and ran to the, to the big league postseason like that. He was just an underrated player the day we acquired him. And people didn't give him enough credit for what he could do. And then he came here and exceeded our expectations in every way, which, you know, good for Marco and good for us. I am so with you, too. I've been saying the same thing. Bieber's going to win Cy Young, but Marco deserves some votes along the way. Because you start making a list of you know top five, top ten American League pitchers, you have to include Marco Gonzalez in that list. He's, he's been that good, and he's been that good for a while. And when you look at him and how he fits with the team, how important is he when you consider, I mean, you have Dunn, you have Sheffield, you have all these young guys, and young guys coming up. How important is he to this group in particular? Uh, hugely important. It's he's the leader. You know, he's the leader. He's the he's the sled dog. You know that that pulls the rest of the the group. And and it's through his, the way he prepares, his understanding of his opponent. You know, Marco is every day he steps out there, he's just not going out and winging it with with a pitch mix. He knows what he's going to do from pitch to pitch. He has planned the pitches he's going to throw and how he's going to get each hitter in that lineup out in more detailed ways than any of our pitchers have ever done in their careers. So he serves as a great example for how you do it. And and I think it's really rubbed off on a lot of our players. I've seen a lot of it rub off on Marge. I think, you know, it's done a wonderful you know bit for him and, and, and how he's advanced. It's done a ton for Chef and, and watching his growth. And just that, the way Marco prepares. But then the, the example of how you compete. Like he goes out there and it, we, we can throw around it's, and for years, every generation has a bulldog, ah, you know, oral Hershiser. <laughs> like it is legit. He grabs onto the bone and he doesn't let off. And he's the nicest guy you ever want to meet. He is community oriented as they come. He's, I mean, he's just, he's, he really is about as, as, 
on a scale of one to ten, he's going to hit a ten on every nice guy mark until he gets out on the mound, and then he's going to chew you up, and he doesn't really let you go. And and that's my favorite part about him is that even on the day where he doesn't have his sharpest stuff, and and we saw it on the smoke filled day here against Oakland. Mm. That's what good pitchers do is on a day where they really don't have their good stuff and the command isn't quite where it is. And they're going to have those days. They hang on and they give you a chance to win. And we did remarkable things to come back and win that game. But it's because he gave us a chance. And that's a trait that I think if, if I had to pick a pitcher in recent of recent vintage that that, that really reminds me of is Mark Burley. You know, Mark Burley could do that. I mean, time in and time out. There might be a day where he gives up to five runs, but he's out there for eight innings, and he gave you the opportunity because he was efficient, he worked fast, and he threw strikes, and he kept you in the game, and then we got that three-run homer, and here we go. Uh, and and that's kind of been Marco. And that, that's I'd never thought about it, but that's another guy who's in that general family of Marco-type guys is, is Burley. And, and I, I, he lasted forever, and he was on good teams, and he pitched in World Series. And when he pitched in World Series, he wasn't starting game four. You know, <laughs> It doesn't matter if you throw 98 if you do it the way that Marco does. He's the greatest. We love Marco, and the Mariners are so lucky to have him. And uh, you went and got him, so nicely done on your part, Jerry. Hey, uh, you, you can't talk about the Mariners in 2020 and not talk about Dylan Moore, man. I mean, you talk about an organizational win with Dylan and a guy who, I mean, in 60 games has shown, I think he's shown his true colors and he shows uh, when, when we hear his story about this winter and what he planned on doing coming into this year, I mean, it doesn't always work this way where a guy goes into an offseason and says, hey, I need to do X, Y, and Z to get better and to play every day. And I realized that my versatility is actually a strength and a calling card. I mean, he checked all those boxes. He came in, he delivered on all of it, and he became an everyday guy that just played different positions. And, man, did he hit the ball hard all season long. It was kind of our combo. We've joked around, like, to Josh Donaldson. He's our bringer of rain. It's, it's kind of like a combination for us, Josh Donaldson, and maybe like a Whip Merrifield who's a guy that later in his career really blew up and forced his way into a lineup every day despite the fact that some days he'd play second, some days he'd play center field, some days he'd play third base, but every day he'd hit. And, and uh, you know, like Whit Merrifield, Dylan wasn't moving around because he was incapable of being a good defensive player at a single position. It was his versatility was such a value. Uh, you know, when we began our, our reimagination of, of the, the roster – one of the very first things we did was committed to the idea of maintaining open roster space and then being creative with how we use that, whether it was through waiver claims or minor league free agency. And like we did when we built our, our reimagined rosters, you know, we've talked about it here on the podcast and, and elsewhere, you know, the, the bringing our group of, of front office people, our scouts, our analysts together and having them fill out rosters, what it might look like. And, oh, look, everybody had JP on there and you know things like that. Dylan Moore, among that year's class of minor league free agents, one of the questions that we have on our postseason questionnaire for all of our people is, you know, are there any players in minor league free agency that you would have interest in offering a 40-man roster spot to? 
and almost to a man, we all put Dylan Moore uh, on that list. And he was really the only one like that. And, uh, you know, we reached out and, and gave him a, a roster spot and, and nobody really noticed it at the time. And I can remember hearing more than one person, including maybe a couple of our players at that time who no longer play for us, that, that were mystified as to how we would take this guy who's, who'd never played a day in the big leagues and, and who really had never been prospecty as a player and just put him on a big league roster. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, he, he, I guess he gave us great returns on that confidence and he has all the tools, you know, and in a weird way, when we talk about five tool players, we're talking, typically we're talking about, you know, the, the superstars of the game. Dylan Moore fills out every box, mm-hmm. you know, like a scout would fill out. He hits every one of them. He has all the tools. He runs. He has power. He plays defense. He hits for average. Anything that you want to, any D's the Z, <laughs> uh, which gives, it warms my heart. That's uh, the sixth tool right there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, you know, he does all the things that you want everyday players to do, and he does it in a versatile package that can play any position on the field. And, you know, the, the only thing he hasn't done since he's been here is get behind the plate. He's even pitched. <laughs> and, and and the year that he pitched for us, he was not the worst pitcher we sent out there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he's done a great job. This was an awesome year for him. Uh, he'll come back next year with the, the designs that he'll play every day. It could be at a position or it could be, again, taking advantage of that versatility. But I think the greater likelihood is moving into 21, you'll see Dylan play a little bit more in the infield, uh, especially as what we think is going to be a nice next wave of, of outfielders with with Kelnick, with Taylor Trammell, et cetera. Uh, we, we will get him more reps on the infield to find out you know where he fits for us as we continue to move forward. But you know, he's going to be hitting near the top of the lineup and doing the things that he did this year because we think it's very real. When you look at the roster along the lines of Dylan Moore, is there another guy or two that you look at that are huge wins this year because of a step they took forward? I mean, we've talked about some of the Kyle Lewis and Marco Gonzalez, kind of the obvious kind of guys, but are there a couple of guys that maybe don't get talked about a lot? You know, the biggest guy for me is someone who gets very little fanfare. And even I've I've seen in print lately some of the good things that have happened in our bullpen this year. Uh, And this guy doesn't even get mentioned in that is Anthony Mishevitz. He has been awesome. And I, I can't say enough about Miz. He we talked to him about converting from he's always been a starter. Mm hmm. We talked to him about converting from a starter to a multi-inning reliever uh, prior to spring training 1.0. Here's what we want to do. We're going to bring you to Major League Camp. We're, we're going to give you uh, the opportunity uh, to, to make a club, but it's going to be as a multi-inning reliever. And in the great likelihood that you don't make the club, you go back to the minor leagues, and, and we're going to cultivate you in that role. And, and uh, you know, let's see what you can do. And he came into camp, and we saw – Every single – he's always had a good curveball. And, and and the curveball is even to me at a different level now than, than it used to be because the other pitches got so much better. But his fastball, it jumped from 89-91 into the 93-95 range. You know, and we've seen him up to 96. And uh, because we told him, hey, you're pitching for a shorter period of time, he's just letting it eat. And uh, is that right, eat? Jerry. We're eating? Jerry. Hunt. Yes. Yeah, yes. Final. I mean, Hunt, we're eating. I mean, you're one for three, so you're a Hall of Famer. But you're 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 catching on. This is nice. I'm very happy about I'm this. Listening. I'm very happy about <laughs> this. But but I think Miz has been awesome. You know, he's got the the cutter. It's 90, 90 91 miles an hour, and it can eat up a, a righty in or get a lefty out away. And then he's got the hammer, which is uh, I mean, it's a weapon for him, and it always has been. 
And when you take all three of those and, and combine them with what I think has, has proven to be kind of a, a fearless uh, mentality as he's taken to the bullpen, I mean, it's not been lights out every time he's out there, but for a guy who's never pitched at the major league level, who's had a partial season in AAA, who was just converted to the bullpen for the first time, what he's shown in terms of stuff, in terms of not being afraid of that moment, again, another guy who the advanced metrics really like, and mm-hmm. and, and the physical stuff and what he's doing is, it, not only do we feel like it's sustainable, but it's put him in a different category. Mm-hmm. It's not just an interesting test run on a guy who might be a multi-inning reliever. It's a guy who we really feel like has a chance to be a high leverage type impact guy in our bullpen. He can strike him out. He doesn't really walk him. He's got real weapons and he's not afraid. That's a pretty good combo. I don't think you can talk about this 2020 season without uh, looking at the trade that you made with A.J. Preller and the Padres. I mean, we're already seeing the fruits of that at, at the major league level right now when you look at Ty France, Ty France and also Luis Torrens. But I, I also wonder, Jerry, you know, is there going to be a time, and hopefully not that long from now, where in October baseball in Seattle you're going to see uh, more than just those two pieces uh, in a playoff lineup or in a playoff bullpen for the Mariners? I mean, this was a strike-while-it's-hot type of deal, and early returns are great, and it, it has the feeling that the longer-term returns will be even greater. So excited by that trade, even the day it happened. And I told you, it was a, it took a little piece of, of you away because we love no, – not you, but – all, All of, of us, yeah, yeah, for sure. When we when we did trade Austin Nola, and, and and that was a that was a tough one to make, tougher than most. And we made a lot of trades over time, and uh, the results of that trade really have a chance to be transformational to to how our roster works, the depth that it created in so many different areas, the depth it created behind the plate, the depth it created, you know, in our lineup with, with immediately with with both France and Terence and and not to mention what we think will come later with Taylor Trammell. Uh, the impact that it has a, a chance to, to deliver, both in everyday players. We feel like we got three everyday players and a potential closer. That's that's a wow, pretty that's, big haul. That's and amazing. It, it really is. And, and oddly enough, you know, Ty France, I think, is showing you how good we think he is. I mean, this is, this is what he is. He hits. And, you know, and, and I think his defense takes unfair criticism. There's, it's, it, it might not look Omar Vizquel-ish, he makes the plays. He's got good hands, and he's got plenty of arm strength. And we've seen him at second base and third base. He's also played some first. The, the obvious is he can hit. It's a, he's a loose-handed, low-anxiety hitter. And that's the same thing I could say about Luis Terence, you know. Is there a town named Terence in France? <laughs> a, can we do that? Um, I, I mean, so, I, know, feel like, I, f- I feel like if there was... There needs to be. There, yeah, I mean... Let's pair him up. What the heck? By the way, are you, are you feeling good about Ty France? I, what about what about baseball ops? If you pass this along, I know you. After you record, you go right over there and you tell them all about the shows. I mean, I I, I assume that's the case. Yeah, I, I can't say that I passed that one along. Ah, you know, I'm, I'm still that, on the, the Come On Tie program, but it's a <laughs> it could change over time. I, okay, I just think Ty. I think Ty's got legs. So just just think of, just think it over. You got a whole winter. Think I'll it pass over. it along to yeah. the fellows because right now, as I go across the road, the fellows includes just me and Justin. <laughs> 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 you know, um, you know, is a, with the 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 skeleton staff we're running, but. I, I can't say enough about these guys and, and the the excitement we, we have or the optimism we have for their future. I, I think in in Luis's case, I, you know, th- this one I think is, is still, I'm going to drop it again on you, factually accurate. But uh, 
Luis, since coming to the bit back to the big leagues this year in late August, so I don't want to say it was around August 18th or thereabouts, actually ranks in the top five in all of MLB in exit velocity. Yeah. Uh, if you sort by whatever his plate appearance total is on that day and and the names that he's that he's grouped with are like fernando tatis and mike trout and christian yelich which is kind of (laughs) unbelievable but it's that's what he's done he's hitting the ball hard and he's got a great approach like ty france he's a low anxiety hitter he's got a history of taking his walks and not striking out too much and he's only becoming more and more mature in that approach and and taylor trammell has a lot of those same qualities you know he hits the ball hard and he's and he's fairly patient hitter and Munoz, Munoz could be anything. You know, Andres Munoz throws 102 miles an hour. He's got a real breaking ball. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to see him until oh, maybe Mayish, first of May next year, middle of May next year, as we wait for him to return from Tommy John surgery. So far, the the, the rehab, the throwing is going very well. But on the scale of of 20 to 80 uh, in in the the world of the bullpen he could be any of of the the top end type guys because of the physical weapons that he has and you know we're we're as optimistic about what that looks like and generally speaking our pitching strategists and and our pitching program you know from Pete Woodworth and Trent Blank here to Max Weiner in the minor leagues and and Ari Ronick in between that group has done a phenomenal job with skill sets like Andres Munoz. And, and we feel like we can really uh, push him to the next level if, if we get him back to full health. I can verify you are factually accurate with Terence. I mean, he is thundering the ball around everywhere. It's been impressive. And it is really exciting when you look already what we've seen from France and Terence. And I think part of the story is, you know, the Austin Nola aspect too, which is a really big win, I feel like, for for you. I mean, our group, Nola's, but yeah. yeah, your group. And Noel is a big part of that as well, the work he put in. But, uh, I mean, consider where he came from to where he ended up. And hopefully this ends up being a good baseball trade for everybody. Everybody has a chance to win at this one. But I, I just think it's so impressive, and it's a big organizational win, seeing how that all developed and then the end result, seeing who's on the field now for you. I, I think so, too. And, yeah. you know, and AJ and I spoke about that after the deals were done. And, and we visited on the telephone and felt like this was just it was a good baseball trade. It made sense for us where we are in our development. It made sense for them where they are in their development. And and everybody walks away happy. You know, they have they have five more years of Austin Nola to, to look forward to. And, you know, if that's what they want, we have a, a, a quartet of players who are here for five or six years that we feel like can really make an impact you know every day and, and that's that's a, a really exciting thing to look forward to which we really didn't anticipate the day we signed Austin Nola so you know I, I, I can't say enough about what he did and what our people do you know Dan Wilson Tony Arner who worked with so hard with him behind the plate Austin himself for his work ethic and, and putting it in but you know this is a, it is a great example of development not stopping at the minor league level and and the continued player growth that we saw resulted in something that I think has a chance to be like truly a grand slam for the for the Mariners. Jerry not to skip ahead but there are a lot of people who in their listener questions were very curious about what the offseason holds for the Mariners what it holds for you in terms of how active you will be on the free agent market. I think a lot of people probably uh, not to make a direct comp, Jerry, that would be unfair more than likely, but you look at the Padres last year, they lose 90 games, right? They lose 90 games with Hosmer. They lose 90 games with Machado. 
They get Tatis in the back end, but now they get a full year of all three of those guys. Uh, then you pair with it uh, some kind of breakout performers as well, maybe the National League Rookie of the Year in Cronenworth. And now they're they're one of the greatest teams to watch in baseball right now. So I think it gives a lot of people some hope when you see the young talent the Mariners have and how many pieces away the Mariners are, both internally and externally. So with that in mind, to kind of lump a lot of listener questions together, Jerry, what do you see the offseason holding for the Mariners? You know, I, I think the Padres, you know, first I will say this, and, and another, you know, quick, you know, back and forth between AJ and I, when, when we finished playing the Padres last weekend, I, I just shot him a text after the series was over, and I, and I meant this sincerely. I, this is now 32 years in, in baseball for me, or 32nd season, I, I, and the last 25, you know, exclusively in the big leagues without the, other than the days where I go watch minor league clubs at, or, or a college game here and there. I have never seen a major league team as tooled and I played for the Indians in the mid 90s. I've never seen a major league team as tooled up as the Padres. <laughs> it's unbelievable how many uh, athletic, powerful, good defenders, guys on the mound that throw 98 with a real breaking ball. It, it's just a tool fest and you know, a very impressive club. I don't know that we're going to be able to run out that type of tool shed on a, a night-to-night basis, but I don't think we're, we're going to embarrass ourselves in that category. We're a pretty toolsy young team. We, we are complimented frequently from the teams that we play, from veteran baseball people who've watched the growth of these young guys and who know what's coming next. And, you know, what you described, the, 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 the jump that the Padres took, that's usually how it goes. There's this, there's a, there's this fallacy that you're going to go from the, the rebuilding team that's at 65 wins, and then you're going to go to 72 wins and 78 wins and 85. That's not how it works. You, know, you go from 65 wins to 70 wins, and, and, and you might hold at 70 wins for a year or two, and then, and then it happens. And, and usually it happens when your players are all in one place and ready to go, and the young ones have the experience. And you know, I, I kind of like the, you know, if you if you flash back to the, the 91 Braves worst to first, which is, uh, you know, and that, that worst to first World Series with the with the Minnesota Twins that year, young teams jump quickly. And I think that will happen with this group. And, you know, we still have to graduate a few. We have to graduate Jared Kelnick. We have to ger- graduate Taylor Trammell. We have to graduate Logan Gilbert and George Kirby. And, you know, th- there's going to be a group of guys that are coming over this next year, Emerson Hancock. But I have a feeling, a sense that this group is ready to gel and that those guys that, that come next are just going to join a group that's already starting to run. Because uh, we learned how to jog this year. And, 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 and I won't sell short going and playing a four-game series with the Dodgers where in three of those four games we we were right there with them and in some cases took it to them and playing the Padres that first set of games where we were right there with them and even this this last weekend in San Diego I mean losing in the extra inning game like knowing that you can play with the best teams in the league and then coming home in this last homestand and beating the Astros those things mean something to young teams and I think that puts us in a position headed into 21 we're going to hit it in the in the free agent market you know we'll be active and calling other clubs we're probably going to look most most specifically at adding in our bullpen uh probably some veteran presence near the back end of the bullpen uh some different pieces that might add some more stability throughout the the pen and then rely on those young arms that we've been able to unearth you know the Mischewitzes and Johan and and so many guys that that excite us moving into the future Joey Gerber 
uh, comes to mind, but not have to count on a lot of those young guys to do it night in and night out in the most crucial situations. Uh, and, and we'll likely look to add one more starting pitcher via free agency or, or perhaps in a trade. And uh, it's, it's just something that, and, and not necessarily look to add at the at the young end where we might look to, you know, a guy who's been down that road before and and can stabilize with it. Uh, because I think even as you flash back to those teams, whether it's this version of the Padres, whether it's it's you know so many years back with the Braves, there there's a time when you go add your Charlie Liebrandt and your mm-hmm. Terry Pendleton, and then there's a time when you go add your Greg Maddox and your Fred McGriff, you know, and and I think what the Padres did was they added, you know, they they took both of those measures, and 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 we'll do that too, and, and I don't know that we're quite ready yet for the Greg Maddox and the Fred McGriff. But when we get there, we're not going to hesitate to do it. And, and we are going to go out and add that veteran presence and, and stabilizing force that we think can put our team in a position to contend in our division this year, next year. Because what we saw this year is that we're not that far off. And, and especially in the second half of this season, we felt like we made up great ground. And we watched what was happening in the West around us. And we, and we think it's a, a very realistic goal for us to go out next year and take that kind of big jump. And I don't know if it will result in a 95-win season, but you know what, it, what we think it will result in is a competitive season that if we put ourselves in position late into next season, you never know what could happen. You mentioned a lot of the next wave kind of guys. And this was an obviously massively challenging year in terms of development. How do you think the year – when you look at Tacoma and everything that happened there, what are kind of your, your big picture thoughts on everything that happened there and, and the development of those guys? The easy answer to the question, it was better than nothing, if, if being honest. It was, it was a challenge oftentimes. It was so disjointed. Uh, and, and for the guys, it was really a challenge, being locked, roughly locked into a hotel space for you know, the better part of three months and playing inter-squad games against other guys wearing your uniform <laughs> Oftentimes with coaches playing corner positions because we didn't have enough players in Tacoma to do it uh, or dealing with small little injuries and nicks and bruises that would keep an individual off the field for a given day. So, you know, it was it was a smattering of competitive baseball. Mostly it was what I would say is accelerated workouts, which is the better than nothing part. And, you know, it. A lot of our guys got an extra 40 or 50 plate appearances. Some of our pitchers, you know, like, like a Logan Gilbert, might have got up to 20 innings or so, mm-hmm. uh, which is better than nothing. And, you know, we are hesitant with the guys that we think have an ability uh, or are likely to be a factor for us in the early part of next season. Uh, we're hesitant to stretch their seasons too much further than, than the end of this month. You know, going into October, November with those guys – you know, puts you in a, a bit of a precarious position as you start 21 because you don't want them to come to camp tired. You know, they have to go, they have to go recover because they did just stress themselves for three months. And uh, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about the players. We learned a lot about players' makeups, their tendencies and trends. We learned who we think needs more time in the minor leagues. Uh, the, the unfortunate part is I'm not sure we found out a whole lot about who doesn't need more time, you know, yeah. because we didn't see that type of volume and, and reps mm-hmm. against the highest competition. So it was productive, but I wouldn't say in in a way where it replaced a normal minor league season, mm-hmm. but it was the best we could do. What can you tell us about the um, 
for lack of a better phrase, kind of mini fall league that the Mariners will be partnering with a few other clubs down in Arizona shortly. Uh, it's miniature, and it's going to happen in the fall. <laughs> uh, we are headed to Arizona. We're going to have our players travel in on September 30th. Our plan right now is to have 40 players. It's going to be a, a like is we, we do here w- with the M's. It's going to be a young group. A lot of them are going to be the you know, last year's draft class. We'll see all, all five of our – or six of our picks from last year will be down in Arizona. Many of what we think are our best young teenage prospects that would otherwise have played in the DSL or, or down in Peoria in, in the, the Arizona Summer League. Um, a lot of the players who would have spent this year at the A-levels and try to take advantage of a 20-game schedule that will play against uh, the other teams in the West Valley. Uh, it'll be us and the Padres, the Royals and the Rangers. We'll just travel once a week out to surprise. One of the surprise teams will come to us and then we'll play the the Padres twice a week at least. Uh, that'll give us four games a week, and in between we can have you know we can go through high level workouts, and and we're going to try to combine what would be a traditional instructional league like used to happen back in the '80s and '90s when I was playing, with what is more traditional for us now, which is what we've been doing for the last five years, is more of an HP camp where we're working on the body and the mind and high and performance camp exactly. Uh, and you know, we're going to combine the two of them over a six-week period starting on October 1st and, and finishing up on November 15th and, and hopefully taking that group of players who might not uh, factor in early next year and put them in a position where 2020 just wasn't a punt for them. And, you know, I, and we, we, we want 2020 to be a meaningful developmental year, and this might be a way to, to help that along. That's good. Again, something's better than nothing, so that's good to hear, especially playing against somebody wearing a different uniform. <laughs> and without, without uh, Annie McKay, like, pitching or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we've got, a, um, we've got some really good fan questions. I have, you know, one of my favorite Stump JDs every year is on induction weekend, just because, I don't know, whatever reason, HOF uh, Stump JDs are just fun for me. So we're going to end this year with a Hall of Fame stump JD that we kind of came across the other day when we were watching uh, Zach Greinke pitch. We had this thought. Who fascinates me? Well, that's the yes. thing, man. Yeah. We were just Absolutely. going down we were before the game and the, even the day before, we were just going down every road. And we, this it came up because we were asking ourselves, like, is Zach Greinke Hall of Famer? And we agreed that he is. Do you, do you agree with that? I, I agree, yes. Okay. I, I also I don't, I don't know if – like. In in my cachet of hundreds of trades, he's one of them. That, uh, so I, and I do I do think he's a Hall of Famer. He's had a phenomenal career, and I, I very comparable to like a Mike Musina and mm-hmm. uh, that that guy that that might never have had that 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 big bang moment, but just over time, his excellence has been right. impossible to ignore. So we agreed that he was a Hall of Famer, and then that took us to the next question: was well, which cap is he going to wear? Because you know he hasn't had a prolonged run with any of the really many teams that he's pitched for and then i think it might have been gary who said was it you that said i don't think it was me that said he's a no logo yeah, guy yes yeah I, I don't think he's a logo guy and i'm like well first of all even if he pitched for like one team <laughs> cranky still might not be a logo guy <laughs> but so that guy is thinking how many no logo guys are there right wow and so it's hard to find like a definitive list, but I've uh, I've read enough articles. <laughs> I think I've got a pretty good feel for this situation. So I'm gonna I, I'm gonna leave this a little open ended since I'm 
mostly factually accurate on this one. <laughs> uh, but to my knowledge, Jerry, in my in-depth research, I can find five Hall of Famers that do not have a logo on their cap. Five no logos. Including the first, uh, the, the one I am very sure about is the first one. So I, I'm going to kind of – I don't expect you to get all five, but can you give me just like – can you give me multiple? A smattering? Yeah. Uh, I believe I believe one of them – well, I'm certain that one of them is Greg Maddox. Correct, Amundo. Nicely uh, done. He's one of them. I want to say that one of them is – is Bruce Souter one of them? No. No. There are – you mentioned Maddox. There are two others – actually, three others. Actually, four, four of the five – Way to look into this, Goldie. Uh, they're actually like four of the five are like really recent. Yeah, the, the, I, th- I think it became a thing right mm-hmm. about that time where where they had their options. But uh, I want to say is is one of them Andre Dawson? No, no. The, who's the hawk wearing? Is he wearing Expos? It's got to be Expos, right? Well, let me look it up, Jerry. There's. I'm just trying. I will to, to, to buy some you. time. To buy some time here. One one thing I found fascinating that is a little tricky to this. Um, Yogi Berra. Yeah, obviously he would be a Yankee. He won like a hundred World Series with the Yankees. His plaque is a profile, and you can't see the logo. Really? Which I found really sneaky and kind of like, what's going on here? That seems absurd and unfair. I agree. Um, one of them is a manager. Dustin is an expo, by the way. Ah, which yeah. which gives me great joy. Yeah, yeah, because it's it. I will say this: the 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 expos, the tricolor expos hat, it's is the greatest. greatest hat of all it is the greatest hat of all time. Yes. Um, the the manager could the manager be Tony Larusa? Ding 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 ding. Nice. Uh, th- that's seems like a right, an easy one. You've got a multiples now. Uh, yeah, I'm digging. Okay, <laughs> the, the first uh, lover of all things baseball, Catfish Hunter. Wow. Uh, the other two are uh, the late great Roy Halladay. Wow, I knew that. Dang it, I knew that one. Jerry's so yeah. the look on his face is shame yes, right now. It is pure shame. shame. And uh, Mike Mussina. Ah, who, who I've already mentioned once. I, I know. When, you said, when I, you I know, thought that was a little I, antenna yeah. went up a few minutes ago, and, you, and I said, "But you know, can't connect the dots, Jerry." <laughs> that was fair. Them. You know, Moose had some. He had awesome runs in Baltimore sure. and New York. Yeah. yeah, and same with with Roy Halladay in Toronto and Philly. So to uh, to my research skills i would say that there are five and with great assistance you got two of them actually you got <laughs> with great assistance you got two of them actually you got you got Ma- i give you maddox fair and square yeah i give you maddox fair and square larissa was just like drank drank the water <laughs> <laughs> um all right uh that was, that was you know i love stump jds that gary and i just just fall into <laughs> just yeah. where you can there, revel yeah. yeah where we just are like when we're just it's going, nonsense yeah. before a game we, yeah we waste so much time <laughs> so we waste so much time on these things and then now that they can actually get a payoff like yeah. twice a month on stem jd right it's great so i've got one for you we're, we're sitting down we're watching games uh, this last brief homestand and uh andy mckay is, is sitting in the stands with us and He's starting to to give me a question per day that he's Ooh. pulling off of Baseball Reference. You oh, know? And, this is great. And uh, and he he gives the very first game of this homestand, and this is this is a question that he's drawing off of just something he's pulling off of Baseball Reference and asking me. You know? And uh, he said, "All right, trivia question of the day, day one." He said, "What player holds the all-time record for consecutive number of seasons with 200 hits?" And I said, oh, this is "Hmm." Uh, 
could immediately I I went to Steve Garvey in the in the seventies, who was like six out of seven years. And I and I and it was it was six out of seven years, but it was wrong. Uh and and he, and without giving me a second guess, because it's just a hardcore game, he said no. <laughs> he said no, 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 no. It's Wade Boggs, and I said no, it's not. And and and, and because it did strike, I said I think it's Ichiro. Yeah, and yeah, sure I enough, Ichiro had Ichiro. ten, ten yeah. consecutive years of two hundred hits, and Baseball Reference was wrong. So no, it's, a, it's never wrong. I'd say in theory, <laughs> but it was right there. It was right there, and uh, in and that 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 jumped off into then it became a thing where Andy was going to ask a question per day and this is great yeah and my performance the rest of the week was was as good as it gets but he wasn't digging as deep as you're digging well thank, thank you I appreciate that I got should be a I'm, pregame feature every it should day. be ridiculous Andy asked Jerry a question every day <laughs> ridiculous life and death questions with Jerry DiPolo and <laughs> <Yeah>. Andy McKay <laughs> or you could just do it do it like the 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 late Jim Fergosi who was a, a, a really a baseball you know, treasure in, in a lot of ways. A great player in the '60s, and and then a great manager uh, throughout for for a lot of years, and and really a colorful manager in a lot of ways. And and I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but when I when I first started scouting, you know, Jim was was a special assistant who was scouting for the Atlanta Braves, and and this was when the Braves were were their version of a, a super tooled up team. You know, mm-hmm. Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones, and and. Uh, and I think I told you this story, but we were we were sitting in in Wrigley Field one day, and this is I I'd not been scouting physically scouting very long, and and uh, we're sitting in Wrigley Field, and I'm sitting right in front of uh, of of Fergosi, and and Eric Gagne comes in. This was when Gagne was at the height of being Eric Gagne, and and uh, he comes in to pitch the, the the ninth inning for the Dodgers against the the or against the the Cubs. And the last out of the game was Eric Karras, you know, the, the former yeah. Dodger first baseman. And 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 Karras was at the end, you know. There there wasn't a ton of bat speed left, and and it was it, it, it was it was he was overmatched, and, and it was a, a three of the most perfect pitches I've ever seen anybody throw in a, in a big league game. It was like a ninety nine mile an hour heater, a sixty eight mile an hour lollipop, and then the Bugs Bunny change up, and and you know, game over, and Karras like literally fell on the ground trying to swing at the last one. <laughs> And I laughed out loud. You know, I, I gave it like the big guffaw, like, ha! And, and, and I felt like, like as if my grandfather were sitting in back of me. Fergosi slapped the back of my head. And he said, hey, stupid, you laugh on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's the lesson I learned. Right. So, so now, moving forward, when you embarrass me with yeah. this Stump JD questions... Please routinely. laugh, on, laugh the, on the inside. Laugh on the inside. Don't revel externally. You know what we'll do? We'll do. Gary will tape me laughing and in post he'll just insert yeah, it. Yeah, and that way, put it in after the fact. Yeah, that yeah. way the fans, the listeners. Yeah, but you won't have to go through you know the pain and agony. Um, I'll do the French laugh. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> call. Yeah, the T Y laugh. Yeah. Hey, we've got some um, some very fun and uh, very inquisitive listener questions. This might be. One of the greatest listener questions of all time. And it's from the, the displayed handle is Kyle Lewis L. So nicely done. Um, Jerry, if you were in an accident, God forbid, leaving you with, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pained to say it, no arms or legs. Oh, my gosh. What former players would you want? the scientists and just the wonderful doctors to fashion robotic replacements after wow 
I'm having flashbacks of the the 1990s video for Metallica's One. <laughs> I'm on the table. Uh, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take. Am I looking for like how am I gonna look in underwear or how? Well, I I, I, I imagine you consider that on a daily basis, but <laughs> in this particular case. I think it's open-ended. Like maybe, maybe this will revive your baseball career. Maybe okay. this happens to you as a very young man. All right. So I, my legs. Yeah. Uh, for my legs, I am going to choose. I think I'm going to choose Ichiro. I'm going to choose Ichiro's wheels. Okay. Yeah. Uh, very it's, nice. Very on brand. They're they're uh, well. First of all, they held up. You know, <laughs> that's number one. Yeah. And the 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 conditioning is irrefutably your, excellent. Your stretching will yeah. instantly improve. Yes, <laughs> without a doubt. The flexibility and the, and and I and I think he's truly is he was an eighty runner at the very height of Ichiro, an eighty runner who was also an eighty base runner and had eighty range. So I'll take those eighties and and take it to the bank. Uh, can I choose another pitcher? Can I choose a pitcher, like one Ichiro leg and <laughs> and I mean, the, if if pitchers are even capable yeah, I don't know of if using I, their legs in that fashion, but they can use their legs to to explode toward home plate. <laughs> a la Billy Wagner. Yeah, I, I'll take a Billy Wagner. Okay, you, know, you get mismatched legs. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> you want like an Alta Villa quad to throw in there. There you go. Too? That's what I'm saying. Um, so I'll go with Ichiro's legs. I'm going to take the left arm of former Mariner great Randy Johnson because oh. it was disgusting yes. what was coming out of that hose <laughs> that was uh i will take that for a day and the the right arm if just for a day because i would want to to be able to embarrass me i, I don't want to just be able to go out there and, and dominate but i want to embarrass major league hitters like circa 1997 to 2002 pedro martinez oh yes uh, who i thought was it was unbelievable at the the height of being pedro I'm Pedro right, Randy Johnson left with Ichiro's wheels. That's me as I come back. That's a great answer. Yeah, right. like if somebody asks you to reach for something on a shelf, <laughs> you'll definitely want to use your left arm. <laughs> but that's a that's a great set. I like that. Nicely done. I mean, who's to, can I can I take a torso? Do I get a torso? I, oh I, no, I you're intact. You're yeah. intact. No, you're great. You're in great shape. You just have no. Are all those Arms appendages? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm gonna look like a, it's gonna be a little bit of a, a freak show, but yeah, I'm in. I, <laughs> yeah, but man, you can play, Jerry. You can play. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, Walsh C S E A Walsh C. I like this question. Uh, loves the podcast, and that's it. We're gonna move on. No. Um, <laughs> question for Jerry: Do you expect any of the COVID-related rule changes to go into next year? Any lasting changes on your mind due to COVID, which, you know, I would include with any rule changes, not just like the social distance, like towels on the dugout rails, but seven inning double headers, uh, the, the runner at second base, anything that we've had in this COVID season, anything you think sticking around? I, I, there's, I think it's a slam dunk, dunk that the extra inning rule is going to stay. I, I think you, you've seen that, that it's, there's a benefit to it on a lot of levels and it does add excitement at, at the at the, that stage in the game and in a way that that playing an extra you know w what do we we, we cap the uh the the tony vaughn game the other day how about that one you're talking about on the broadcast and i'm thinking come on who doesn't know this what's that <laughs> the, 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 the 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 longest game yeah oh my gosh i don't think it was, gary, it was gary, fabulous gary I, I didn't know the answer to this because we were talking about how there hadn't been a an extra inning game this year longer than 13 innings uh -huh. right which then, of course, gets you in the natural path of thinking, like, well, what's the longest extra inning game ever, right? <laughs> and for some reason, of all the ridiculous things that we've looked up forever, like, I don't think I've ever looked up longest extra inning game in baseball history. 
And it was in like 19, was it 21 or something? Yeah, I mean, the Tony Vaughn game. Yeah. Yeah. That ended in a tie? <laughs> after, was it 21 innings? It was, I think it was one nothing. It, it, uh, it was, I, I think the, the game you're talking about was, was Hippo Vaughn and Fred Tony, uh, who towed up. And, <laughs> of course and it was, it was. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. I think the game ended one to nothing. No, it was a tie game. Uh, it was it ended a, in a tie. Uh, uh, come on. Uh, hey, I'm not. You don't do ties. Hey, you're. Now I gotta look it up again. This, yeah, it is. We'll maybe we'll kick off our next podcast with this. We'll, when, we'll research the, the the Tony Vaughn I, game. Even on the air, I was reading the Saber wrote a whole Perfect. game story about it, laughing out loud. Yeah, it, I mean it's unbelievable. Yeah, there, there, there's. I remember having a baseball card that that came from a like a, a special set in the early 1960s that that kind of gave the breakdown of the game. It was a celebrated game at the time, uh, but. Um, anyway, I, I think the, the, the runner at second base, the extra inning rule is, is here to stay. Uh, I'd be surprised if that doesn't move forward. I do think that like small things are, I guess, meaningful things, but things like the seven inning doubleheader and even the, the current playoff format with the extra teams, I think those are in play as we head into 21. Uh, I'm sure the league is going to consider those things because it's added a little something extra to, to the end of the season here. And, and, and I know the game is trying on many levels to find ways to, to create, you know, greater fan appeal. And if anything we've done in, in 2020 is deemed by our fans to be exciting, then I think we're going to consider that as a long-term change. May 1st, 1920, Brooklyn Robins won, Boston Braves won. 26 innings. One to one. 26 innings. Wow. Um, it was called because of darkness. Apparently the game started at like 9 a.m. <laughs> uh, the next day's New York Times, they got a quote from the home plate umpire, which like would never happen now. Like no. when would you ever go talk to the home plate umpire, right? Like they're quarantined always. First uh, he had to loosen his tie yeah. to answer the <laughs> yeah, question. You're right, yeah. <laughs> uh, the home plate umpire with the black tie, Barry McCormick, Quote, remembered that he had an appointment pretty soon with a succulent beefsteak. He wondered if it wasn't getting dark. He held out one hand as to test and decided that in the gloaming, it resembled a Virginia ham. He knew it wasn't a Virginia ham and became convinced that it was too dark to play ball. Thereupon, he called the game to the satisfaction of himself and fellow umpire Bob Hart and the chagrin of everybody else concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so it all comes down to just getting a steak, man. I can say this without feeling like I'm doing, you know, the, the Ryan Divishes of the world a disservice. They, they don't write like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of a kind. Uh, yeah, 26 innings, tied game. All right, we had um, we had one more question. Normally we only do two. It's the last one. We're doing three. Um, because, Jerry, I was telling Gary this before you came to the booth earlier. The one player that more fan questions hit on outside of just the obvious guys, right, like, it's Kelnick and everybody else, right? But it's like all the big guys, whether it be in the minors or here. But then the the next guy that they always ask about that's below the fold is Sam Carlson. Like he's, why wouldn't he's a very popular of course, why wouldn't? Just look at him. He looks like a big leaguer. Strapping as, fellow. As Scott yeah. Hunter famously said. That's like one of my favorite quotes of all time. Um what's up with Sam? What's uh what do you predict for uh for next year for him? He, he looks even more like a big leaguer now. <laughs> it's a big dude, man. Yes, uh, Sam. There's, I mean, in scouting vernacular, that, that that's an old, you know, scouts form of identification. 
Hey, when they get off the bus, you can tell who the big leaguers see, are. See, Gary? A, see? God, this is, this is why I'd be such a great yeah. scout. Oh, yeah. I'd be so good. The, the problem is that's his only – that's Aaron's only way of scouting. He doesn't care about anything else except <laughs> how they look coming off the man, bus. Man, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> but Sam Carlson yeah. has uh, – he's got an 80-grade jawline, man, and he, he looks he looked like a big leaguer coming out of high school. Uh, that's for sure. He's he's filled out even more. You know, this, this year we were very excited for Sam. He came to spring training for the first time, really. He threw three. Innings uh, in our in our in extended league as a as an 18 year old, and it's the last time we saw him pitch. And you know he came to spring training this year. He was up to 95 miles an hour throwing his live BPs. We saw really positive strides in his breaking ball, and and I say that because we just hadn't seen it in three years. But uh, he he looked terrific and very very positive about where his season was going uh we chose not to send him to the alternate site for obvious reasons we didn't want to put him in a position to push too hard but sam was one of the players that we sent to another satellite camp you know we did something down in burlington north carolina where one of our minor league pitching coaches sean mcgrath uh took a group of pitchers we thought were high prospects including Sam. It was Sam Carlson. We had Logan Reinhardt. We had Devin Sweet. We had uh, our, our comp pick in this year's draft, Connor Phillips, a, a number of guys that were on that next tier, Adam Mako. Uh, they all went to Burlington and worked out for that same time that our group was in Tacoma. They were they were going through similar type uh, pitching routines down in, in Carolina, and Sam really excelled. Uh, pitched healthy the whole way through. He showed that the, the ability to sustain that kind of velocity, 92, 96. Uh, he, he could always spin it. He could spin it in high school. He's still learning uh, in terms of his changeup, and he's still just 21 years old. So it's a you know there's still so many positives for Sam, and and uh, we're really looking. He will be with the with the group that reports down to Arizona on the 30th, and and he'll spend the six weeks down there, hopefully getting his first real professional innings in, and look forward to next year seeing him break camp and go out with a with a full season team. And uh, and Sam still has every bit to to be that big league pitcher. He's he was one of the best high school pitchers in his draft class. He's always had that kind of physical ability, and the encouraging thing to us is that it didn't disappear. It's still there, and and, and this is uh, we're getting our first glimpse of a healthy Sam Carlson. That's good to hear. That we are eager for whenever that day comes that we uh, get to see him actually pitch, whether that be in Arizona or hopefully one day here in Seattle. Hey, Jerry, this has been a uh, this has been a record-setting waste of your time. <laughs> <laughs> I have a way of doing yeah, that. Thank yeah. you for indulging us for almost an hour and 15 minutes. Um, I don't know uh, what the uh, the plans are for the off-season uh, wheelhouse, but I would imagine that at some point we'll be getting on the horn, Gary, and yeah. doing something along these lines. Uh, Jerry, when your uh, schedule uh, allows and when there are some things to be talking about. But uh, it's been... Obviously, it's been an odd 2020, but this has been a really fun team to watch and has given us and everybody listening uh, a great glimpse into uh, the very bright times ahead for this ball club. So we appreciate you uh, breaking it down for us as often as you do here on the podcast, man. I'm glad to do it. This I love this team. This is what we had in mind when we started this. This is what I had in mind when I when I started to scout uh, so many years ago. And and in my wildest dreams, I couldn't have imagined that it would start to, to take shape as quickly as it has. And I don't know if we're going to get to the top of the mountain, you know, as quickly as, as we would like to, but we're going to get there. And this, this team gives you that vibe. They're, they're so talented. They're, they're, they play together. They play hard. And, you know, and – and they like to cook. 
You know, there's, there's a, I, I've, I've come to, to find out that there's a handful that, that do enjoy uh, getting in the kitchen and flipping things around. And, and that's a positive to me. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's, um, I would love to hear Jerry decline a trade because the guy has got no culinary chops. Like, <laughs> I can't even scramble an egg. Forget his 900 OPS. We're but, not going there. Right? Bet, Fast food, not on that. Not on my dime. Hey, um, Jerry, this has been fun, man. We appreciate it. No, I love doing that. See you later! Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.